listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. You can be seated. My name is Clint. I'm the associate pastor here. I want to welcome you all this morning, just as Mark has. We're so glad you're with us. We're continuing this morning in our series on the book of John. And so we're going to be in John 10 this morning, uh, if you want to be turning there. Really, we find ourselves uh, with Jesus kind of interpreting and explaining some events that have happened the past few chapters. And so there's some things that have happened, and Jesus is saying, okay, let me explain to you what's really going on here. So you've probably had this happen in your life sometimes. Something happens, but then somebody's got to explain to you, here's what's really going on. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about, right? So Jesus is interpreting the events of the previous chapters, uh, and so if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back, read chapter 9, uh, go listen to the podcast. I'll summarize it very quickly. What had happened was actually very simple, very simple, but it has utterly confused the Pharisees. Here's what happened. Jesus healed a blind man. Simple. But the Pharisees were not willing to accept that because they were not willing to accept the consequences of that. And so they do this whole roundabout thing that is utterly ridiculous. They bring the guy in and they're like, hey, are you sure that that was you, that you were the bond man? Which is a ridiculous question. I think I would know if I was the bond man. And yes, I was blind. Well, they don't want to accept that. So they send him out. They bring his parents in and they think maybe we can intimidate this guy's parents in Talon about him and selling him out. Well, of course, parents aren't going to do that. So they kick the parents out. They bring the guy back in, and they kind of give him a theological quiz. Say, all right, let's see if you can pass this. And eventually, the, the man who had been healed just said, listen, I don't, I don't know. I don't know all this stuff you're trying to confuse me with. Here's what I know. I was blind, and now I see. And they kick him out of the temple. They excommunicate him. Sayonara, you're on your own. Don't let the door hit you where the Lord split you. That part wasn't in my notes. I probably shouldn't have said that. But <laughs> they kick him out. He's on his own. He's excommunicated with no way to uh, worship God, no way to sacrifice to God, no way to, to learn from the Scriptures, nothing. And so the way Jesus explains these events, what's really going on, is with the image of shepherding. Now, again, this is something that should have been very clear and obvious to the Pharisees, but it's going to totally confuse them. There's the image of shepherding is throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. Many of you are probably already thinking about some psalms, psalms like Psalm 23, Psalm 80, that talk about God being the shepherd of his people. But there's also a lot of prophecy in the Old Testament related to shepherding. And so you can go read Jeremiah 23, Zechariah 11. But the main one is found in Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34, God promises there's going to be a time when he undoes the harm done by religious leaders who are out for themselves. And so the picture in Ezekiel of some of these religious leaders is that they are evil shepherds. They leave the sheep to wander on their own, leave them vulnerable to predators. They abandon them to their own devices. And they do that because they are self-serving shepherds. They're in it for me, not to, to take care of the sheep. And isn't that exactly what they had done with this blind man? They didn't want to listen to what he had to say, so they kicked him out. They abandoned him. Well, in Ezekiel, God promises that there's going to come a day when I am going to shepherd my people. 
I will send one shepherd from the line of David who will gather back all the sheep and undo all the harm that had been done by those evil shepherds. So Jesus is saying in our passage today, I am the fulfillment of that prophecy. I'm the good shepherd, me. Those Pharisees, they're the evil shepherds. And in chapter 10, he's going to call them thieves, robbers, wolves, and hired hands who abandon their sheep. And he's saying, this blind man that you just saw, that's sheep number one. Because when the Pharisees kicked him out, what did Jesus do? He went and found him. He tracked him down and he revealed himself to him. And that man put his faith in Jesus Christ and said, I believe. So what we're going to find out this morning is Jesus, he's the good shepherd, the good shepherd that's been promised. And here's why. Because he gathers, he guards, and he gives his life for his sheep. That's what a good shepherd does. But if we're going to understand the full picture he's painting here, we've got to kind of understand how they took care of their sheep back then uh, because it's a little different than how we did it. So Jesus, y'all, he wasn't living in Texas when he gave uh, this sermon, right? He wasn't living in a place where everyone had huge ranches, man, just acres and acres of land, and everybody had high-game fences to keep the wolves and the predators out. No, no, no. Back then, and it's still to this, in that part of the world much the same today, there was actually a small area of land, relatively small area of land, that a bunch of shepherds and a bunch of herds would have to use. But then at night, again, they don't have the high game fences, they would have to do something to protect their sheep at night. And so they would do things like if they lived next to a village, that village probably had a community sheep pen. So at night, all the shepherds would herd all their sheep into this one pen, and then they would hire someone from the village to watch the gate to stand at the gate and watch overnight. And they bring their sheep in, they find this guy, and they say, hey, remember this face, remember me, I'm the shepherd. If any other guy who doesn't look like this comes to get these sheep, do not let them in. Or if they're out in the wilderness, let's say they weren't near a village, they would find maybe an open cave, something that had three sides they could herd the sheep into. And so you could almost picture these black curtains being like uh, the rock face of an open cave with one opening. They would herd all the sheep in there, and then they would take turns throughout the night taking the night watch, and whoever the night watch would literally lay down in front of the one opening. And they literally called him the door. He was the door to the sheep. And so that's kind of how they took care of their sheep back then. So with that picture in mind, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 10, and we'll begin reading verse 1 through 6. Read with me. Truly I say to you, you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by the sh- is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So the first thing we find out that the good shepherd does is he gathers his sheep. He gathers his sheep. And in verse 4, he tells us there's one tool that he uses to gather his sheep. It's his voice. He uses his voice to call his sheep to him. And so what would happen uh, back in that area of the world, again, you, you imagine you had a pen full of sheep from a bunch of different flocks with a bunch of different shepherds, and so you had to gather just your own sheep. And what they did was every shepherd would have their own distinctive call. And it wasn't just them saying in their normal voice, hey, sheep, come on, here, sheep, because that could be too easily distinguished. They'd have all these kind of crazy calls. They could be in a deep voice like a really high, 
And so you can imagine what it would sound like if we were all shepherds, morning's come, we're coming to gather our sheep, and everyone's trying to gather your sheep. You had to have a pretty distinctive call. And so you hear all these crazy noises. I'm sure one of us from A&M would be given a whoop, whoop, and all the other shepherds would be really annoyed by that shepherd, and it would be kind of crazy. But the sheep can distinguish. And so what would happen uh, when it came time to gather the sheep, when the shepherd spoke, the vision began. Watch those sheep that were all come together would begin to separate and divide. So what Jesus is saying, you know what? Here's what's happened so far. The more I speak, the more I act, the more division we see. There are some who are saying I'm a demon. There are some who recognize me as deity. There are some who are saying I'm crazy. There are some who are calling me Christ. And here's why. Some have learned to recognize my voice. Others, they, they may be religious, smart, moral, but they don't know me. And so they do not recognize my voice. And think about what we've seen in John so far. Chapter 6, Jesus says, man, he's got so many followers, so many disciples. He says, hey, if you want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And by the masses, they left. They didn't recognize the shepherd's voice in that. But then, this is one of my favorite scenes in all of John. He turns to the disciples that were left and says, are y'all going to leave too? They say, where are we going to go, Jesus? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. So that is a sheep saying, I recognize the voice of my shepherd in you. So where else am I going to go? Chapter 8, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And the Pharisees say, let's stone him. They don't recognize the shepherd's voice. Well, we've just seen in chapter 9, he heals a blind man. The Pharisees say he's a blasphemer and a Sabbath breaker. Jesus goes and finds the blind man. What does the blind man say? Lord, I believe. That's a sheep saying, I know the voice of my shepherd. But don't miss this. Not only is he saying that the sheep know the shepherd, he's saying the shepherd know the sheep. It says in verse 3, the shepherd knows them. In fact, he knows each and every one by name. And this is how it worked back then. Because again, if you're separating your sheep from a bunch of other sheep, you got to know if you have them all, right? Is everyone present and accounted for? And that's why you may remember Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep. He says the shepherd, he, he may have 99 of his sheep and one is missing, and he recognizes that that one is missing. You know, that's the total opposite of the Pharisees. Do you think that they noticed for one moment when that blind man wasn't in the temple anymore? No. They just went about their business as if they weren't missing a thing. You know, sometimes we're tempted to think that kind of God is this remote, distant deity who doesn't particularly know about me or maybe even care about me. Or you may hear someone say, you know, yeah, sure, I believe in a God, but it's in this vague, general sense. There's no sense of relationship, no sense of personal knowledge, no sense of intimacy. What Jesus is saying here is, y'all, that is not how God operates. Not for a moment. If you belong to him, he knows your name and you recognize his voice. That's how God operates. And that's how he gathers his sheep. Let's keep reading. We'll pick it back up in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to still kill and destroy. 
I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What we find out here is Jesus not only gathers his sheep, he guards his sheep. In verse 9, Jesus says his sheep can come and go and find green pasture. Well, y'all, what is that a picture of? That is a picture of security, safety. You know, without someone to protect them, y'all, sheep can't come and go anywhere. Not at all. They are too vulnerable. And so if a sheep just left a pen all on their own, they're never making it to those green pastures, I promise. You know what you call a sheep without a shepherd? Supper. That's all they are. Supper or some wolf. But when Jesus is your shepherd, he safely leads you to the pasture. Well, listen, what's the pasture? It is a picture of a restored relationship with God. Think about what a pasture is for a sheep. It's a place of total provision. They have food. They have rest. They have safety because of their shepherd. He summarized, Jesus summarized it in verse 10. He says, they have life abundantly, all they need. Well, y'all, the place where we as people have nourishment, rest, abundant life, it isn't a pasture. It's not even a cabana on the beach. It's not a chalet in the mountains. It's in relationship with God. I love the way St. Augustine said it. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. You were created so that you are fully satisfied, nourished, at rest, safe when you're in a relationship with God. And Jesus is that good shepherd who was promised back in the times of Ezekiel, who will guide you into a restored relationship with God. That's why he can claim in verse 9 something that is no small claim. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will be. How? How will he be saved? Well, Jesus kind of hops in and out of uh, illusions a little bit. In verse 7, he switches from I'm the good shepherd to I am the door. And remember, if they were out in the wilderness, the shepherd who would lay across the opening would be called the door. And anyone who would come in or out of the sheep had to go through him. And, you know, that is a picture of access. Access. If you want to get in or out of the pasture, you have to go through that door. That's the only way. Remember when he's teaching. He's teaching when most, he, to the Pharisees, and most of them are Jews, and they are following Judaism, which says the way you have access to God is you obey the law. That's how you're saved. You obey the rules of the law. The problem is there's one big lesson of the law. It's that you can obey it. That's the whole point of it. And so according to the law, you and I, we're like sheep who can't find a door. There's no door for us to get to those green pastures. And listen, sin, sin is a fence we cannot climb. We can't do it. And the law by itself has no gate, has no way to get through. So we need God to cut out a door, to give us a way to get to abundant life in Him. And Jesus is saying, I do that. But again, He says, I have to guard you from something. What does He guard us from? It's the Pharisees. It's the evil shepherds from Ezekiel 34. In verse 8, he repeats again that these guys aren't shepherds at all. What does he call them? Thieves and robbers. He's saying, hey, if someone carries you out of that pen, not through the door, 
listen, congratulations, you're out of the pen, but you're not headed to any green pasture. You're headed to the butcher. You're headed for death, is what he says in verse 10. These thieves, these robbers, they come to steal, kill, and destroy you. You know what's interesting? My whole life, I'd been taught verse 10 was in relation to Satan, to the devil. Anybody else been taught that in relation to this verse? Yeah. And you could say certainly secondarily, yes. Indirectly, yes. That is part of Satan, Satan's work in the world. But directly, primarily in the context, you know what that verse is about? It's about false teachers. It's about anyone who teaches you to find abundant life in a way that doesn't go through Jesus. That's who that verse is about. And in context, what are they stealing? The green pastures, the life abundantly, the relationship with God. And so Jesus, again, he's saying, any way you try to get out of that pen other than the door will only lead to death, destruction, and separation from God. It is a danger to your life. That's his warning. Let's keep reading. Pick it up in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I'll lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I'll lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. There was again a division amongst the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is a demon and is insane while listen to him. Others said, these are not the words of the one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Great question. Here we find out Jesus not only gathers his sheep, he not only guards his sheep, he gives his life for his sheep. In many ways, he's explaining what he said in verse 4 when he said, when I call them, I go out before them. And this is another way a shepherd in that area is different than maybe we picture. We picture cowboys and cattle, right? When a cowboy is leading his cattle, he drives them. So he's behind and all the cattle are in the front. That's not how a shepherd works in the Middle East. Shepherds led. They were in the front and all the sheep were behind them. Why did they lead? Because they often had to fight off predators with their staff and their rod. They often had to clear the way through thickets, rough terrain. See, a sheep, if they go out in front without the shepherd in front of them, they'll, they'll just fall off a cliff or they'll get themselves stuck and they'll die. To be a shepherd in that culture is to get bruised and bloody leading your sheep. So he says five times in four verses, he promises to lay his life down. What obstacles is he leading us through? Well, what obstacles... What are our obstacles to the green pastures? Sin, death, our rebellious hearts. Jesus is saying, listen, I get bruised and bloody making a way through those. 
Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus said, I'll lead the way. I'll take all that wrath. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Jesus said, I'll blaze a trail through death so that you can pass through safely. In verse 18, he, he does something that is very powerful. He makes it very clear. No one takes my life from me. When I'm crucified, it's not a result of some conspiracy between the Romans and these Pharisees. It's my decision based on the authority I get from the Father. What he's saying is this is going to happen because the Father looked at the Son and said, go get him. Go get our sons and daughters. And Jesus, because he knows the sheep and he loves them, did it. It's an act of love the world has not seen before or since. But then he says something even more unbelievable. I'm going to raise it up again under that same authority. And here's one way to think about it. When Jesus died, it was like he swung the gate of that pen open so all God's sheep could be free from sin. But we're not to the green pasture yet. So he said when Jesus rose again, it's like him bringing the sheep to the green pasture, to abundant life. Here's how Colossians 1.27 puts it. It says, my hope of glory, all the hope of glory that I have is Christ in me. And men and women, a dead and buried Christ can't be in me. He can't be in me if he's in the grave. So all of God's promises of new, abundant life, they are only possible because Jesus didn't stay dead. He conquered death and he rose again, and that's why you and I can have new life. Well, what a good shepherd. What an amazing shepherd. He gathers us, he guards us, he gives his life for us. And y'all, as amazing as that kind of shepherd is, I have to tell you, that kind of shepherd is of no use to someone not willing to admit they're a sheep. And that's part of the reason the Pharisees didn't recognize his voice. They didn't want to admit that they were sheep, just like they didn't want to admit that they were blind, just like they didn't want to admit that they were sick. And you and I, if we are not careful, can make the exact same mistake. See, many of us, I think, I'm this way sometimes. Man, we come to church and we actually feel pretty secure. And so we show up, you know, we're not necessarily looking for someone to guard us, to keep us safe. We're really looking for someone who can just make us a little more comfortable. And when we come in that way, our ears are tuned not to a shepherd, but to salesmen who will give us something to make our lives just a little bit better than they already are. And I got to tell you, listen, if you think in this room this morning you are not in danger of this, you are kidding yourself. We live in a culture of materialism. Here's what that means. That does not mean we are all rich beyond our wildest dreams. That's not what that means. That means that we have an expectation of comfort based on the security that comes from our stuff. That's what that means. And in this culture, in churches has risen something we call the prosperity gospel. And it's easy to think, oh man, that's some other people over there. But y'all, this is the water we are swimming in. Here's what the prosperity gospel says. It says, Jesus is here to organize my stuff and circumstances to give me the best life now. That's the function Jesus serves in my life. Listen, men and women, all that is, all that is, it is sensuality and greed in sheep's clothing. That's all that is. I love the way Fleming Rutledge put it. 
In spite of all evidence, modern-day Americans keep trying to convince ourselves that happiness is the natural state of our species. That's what we all expect every day. The problem is, that is not the natural state of a sheep. You know, sheep are some of the most vulnerable animals that exist. They have no natural defense whatsoever, constantly in danger of predators. So if a wolf ever makes it over that fence, that sheep is toast. All they can do is bat it, and if they're scared off, they got nothing. You will never see, I don't care how long, you can watch the Discovery Channel 24-7, you will never see one of those like slow-mo, ultra-high-def, epic fights with all the crazy music between two sheep. You'll see lions, you'll see tigers, elephants, never sheep. It would be really boring. So because of that, the sheep doesn't look to the shepherd to provide health, wealth, higher salary, better job, so their cat doesn't get sick. He listens to the shepherd's voice out of dependence on his very life. And men and women, that is a far different relationship. Fleming Rutledge goes on to say, the message of the cross of Jesus Christ is that only the creator of the universe can make, the, can make perfect justice come about in this world that he created. And he has done that, he has done so in the body of his own son, and that he will do so in the future day of the Lord. And that's a way bigger vision than just my temporary comfort, isn't it? So men and women, tune your ear. Listen for the good shepherd calling you to that. You know, others, I think, sometimes come and they see themselves as pretty smart, pretty capable, pretty good, thank you very much. And so we come listening just for a little religious self-help. You know, hey, someone give me some tips, some tools that I can use. I'll evaluate those. And then, you know, I'll go and I'll get it done. And I'll be that good person that I know I want to be. You know what's interesting about sheep? They have no ability to find food for themselves. None. You can swing open that pen of that gate. Those sheep will never find the green pasture on their own. They'll never make it there. They're utterly lost. So Jesus is saying this morning, listen, you will never get to God on your own. You will never make it there on your own. You'll never be a good person on your own. It's not going to happen. And listen, I've tried, many of you here, we've tried on our own and fallen flat on our face before, haven't we? He says, I'm the door and the shepherd. You have to go through me and I have to lead you to that abundant life. Do you have the humility for your ears to be tuned to that message this morning? You know, I think there's some who come simply seeking to feel good. And when we do that, man, our ears are tuned to an entertainer. You know, there's many people in our culture who are just addicted to people giving them a good feeling. Maybe through their charisma, the way they talk, write, sing, compliment you, whatever it is, our ears are tuned only to people who will give us an experience that we want in that moment. You know what's interesting about sheep? They have no idea what's good or bad for them. Clueless. Countless sheep have died with no one to blame but themselves. You know, a sheep will eat itself to death. They will. Man, they'll find something good and say, oh, this, this feels so great. This is so tasty. This is amazing food ever. And they'll just eat until dead. They'll dive off a cliff. 
They'll see something, oh, way over there. Oh, that looks great. I want to have that. Do, do, do. Boop. And then a bunch of other sheep will follow them. They don't even know what that first sheep was chasing after. Sheep need a shepherd, not who gives them a temporary experience, but who provides what is good for them and protects them from what is bad. Men and women, that means there may be times when Jesus, the good shepherd, says, listen, I know this is hard. I know this is hard, but it's good for you. Or he may say, I know that looks appetizing. I know that feels good in the moment, but it's bad for you. Are you willing to listen to his voice in those moments? I'll tell you, someone else is has no use of a shepherd like this, is someone who doesn't think there's thieves and robbers out there. Yo, this is so interesting. I was totally wrong when I first started reading this passage. When I first started reading this passage, I thought the main distinction that Jesus was making was between those who are his sheep and those who are not his sheep. That's not the main distinction he's making. The main distinction he makes is between the good shepherd and the evil shepherd, between him and any other way to get to God. He says, anyone who tries to lead you to God without Jesus is what? A thief and a robber. And what's their purpose? To steal, kill, and destroy. The problem is, and I think one of the reasons Jesus is warning us here is that thieves and robbers don't always look like bad guys. They may even look like the most religious people that you know. You know, it's interesting, one of the most repetitive warnings throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, it's not about all those evil heathen out there. It's not about all those crazy devil worshipers out there. It's against false teachers in the church. The Scriptures warn us about this countless times. Let's look at one. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 through says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and, watch this, wander off into myths. What does that sound like? You know, if this scripture is true, then false teachers don't come to you in nightmares. They appeal to your itching ears and to your passions. And the things they say and the way they say it, y'all sound so good. But the good shepherd is warning you, they're thieves and robbers. They won't give you life abundantly. They will destroy you. And that's why I think this is true, y'all. I'm absolutely convinced of this. For most of us here, the greatest danger to your spiritual health will most likely come from someone claiming to be a Christian. But they're leading you to God in some other way other than through Jesus. So how do we learn to recognize the good shepherd's voice? Distinguish his from the evil shepherds. Well, you know, anytime I, I think about hearing Jesus' voice, man, I, I just automatically go to picture me being like zapped and shaking a little bit and glowing in the dark and levitating or something, seeing a bright light. Problem is with some of those types of experiences, y'all, the, the natural fallen part of us is really bad at distinguishing between the Holy Spirit and our own emotions, our own passions our own thoughts. And your emotions and your thoughts are not God. Some of you need to tell your thoughts and your emotions that this morning. You are not God. So how do we learn to recognize the Spirit's voice? Well, 
John's going to teach us. It teaches us this throughout the New Testament. Recognizing the Spirit's voice comes from time and experience in His Word. That's what it comes from. He said it in John. He said in John 8, 31 and 32, If you abide in my Word, then what? You're truly my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Later in John, he's going to, for a couple chapters, he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And here, here's what he says in 1426. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that what? All that I've said to you, all of my words. The right, John, he teaches the Spirit's job isn't y'all to make up stuff and be a fortune teller. He teaches us the Spirit's job is to help us remember his word. And so if you ever, that means if you ever think that the the Holy Spirit has said something, but it is not confirmed in God's word, then listen, it's not the voice of God. It's not the voice of the Good Shepherd. Great place to go read in your Bible this week, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul is essentially explaining this relationship between the Holy Spirit and God's word. And here's what he says. Verse 10 through 16, he says, they are both equally gifts from God. God has given us both of those things but each plays a part. He says the Spirit's job is to help us understand the Word. And then he says something happens. As as the Spirit and the Word work together in us, over time, a change happens in us. And here's what he says. He says we develop the mind of Christ, which is just another way of saying we learn to recognize the voice of our shepherd. That's what he's saying. Y'all, that process takes time. It just does. But you know what? It is worth it because we come to know our good shepherd, the one who gathers us, guards us, and gives his life for us. And I cannot emphasize how big of a distinction that last one is. Jesus said in verse 12, listen, these thieves, they they love their own life. They don't love you. They run at the first sign of danger. Men and women, no other shepherd has laid down his life and taken it back up again for you. No other shepherd has or will do that. We're going to celebrate that this morning, not with a picture of a pasture, but with a picture of a feast. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.